dreamed of knowing heaven on earth, of sailing away to a desert island. Well, here's a story about such a dream come true. Doctor, explain your aims. What are you trying to do here? Our aim originally was to do research into human health, physical and mental, and to find what needs to be learnt about human work and happiness. Our community, by definition, was intended to be a community of unlike minds. One of the most interesting things that I've learned from a community is that it demands that you shall go on growing, and that means that you'll go on changing. Welcome back to another episode of Wet Wired. I'm Sean Andes. And I'm Julian Paul Butt. We're talking today with Carl Maymer, author and host of the Conspiracy Skeptic podcast. Carl holds a few records with us. He was our very first guest back on premium episode number three, which we just re-released last week. In that episode, we talked about Ernst Zundel and his secret Nazi UFO base in the Antarctic-inspired air tourism agency. Not only was Carl our first guest, but he's also the first guest that we've had back on the show to make a second appearance. So that makes you the first person on the show, the first person we've had back, and the person who's been on the most. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I listened to the uh, I listened to the, the air, air Nazi, and I'm like, we had a lot of fun. So I'm like... Yeah, you're going to get me back on that show. <laughs> your medal is in the mail. Yeah, exactly. In honor of the Oscars, <laughs> we'll send you yeah. your statue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm almost here to push a new book. I'm uh, uh, working on a, uh, a, a, a sequel to uh, the, the Skeptics Book of Lists, available on Amazon.com. Uh, th- this one's called The Conspiracy Skeptics Book of Lists. Uh, as it, the name implies, it's a little more focused. On, it's more focused on conspiracies. So, uh, so uh, yeah. But that's not going to probably be out till late summer, early fall. I'm still like, I'm still like, 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 like I'm 250,000 words into it. And I'm just like, it's still not there yet. So, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And there's so much ground you could cover there. I, I don't even know how I would begin. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- this one is, um, it's it, like, it's just, it's about conspiracies, but also kind of that, that hidden world you don't really pay much attention to where, you know, when you have these kind of hidden worlds, it's all obviously fodder for conspiracists, but you know, uh, but it, it like, let's say like, um, you know, like when you go to like Expedia or some sort of hotel booking site, you know, like hotels have star ratings. Like who, 
who actually gives those ratings? You know, the kind of things like that or, um, um, you know, like professions, you know, professions have their own secret code where it's like, if, you know, um, you know, if you, if you go to like Disney World or something and, you know, it turns out if, you know, if you were called a valued guest, it means like you, you, they suspect you of shoplifting and, and a lot of <laughs> kind of interesting, you know, so uh, the, the, this, this, this whole, or the, what is it? A white a white cloud event or something means um, uh, a guest is spreading the ashes of their dead relative on the park. We got a white cloud event in, uh, you know, Tomorrowland. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I guess it, it makes sense. It happens, right? Well, happiest place on earth. That's where I wanted my ashes spread. And yeah, apparently you cannot uh, deposit human remains in the magic kingdom. <laughs> Hopefully the or, wind's or blowing the right gonna way. Do it, you're going to have to do it really quickly. <laughs> exactly. Just like, like, was it the, the great escape? Just going to have the ashes in the right. pocket. You, you need somebody to run interference for you. You need somebody to create exactly. a diversion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, um, um, there, there was one, I kind of had a lot of, well, so far, the two things I've had the most fun writing in the conspiracy skeptics book list is, uh, one was, um, wrestling conspiracies, which we're not here to talk about. Uh, uh, I, I'm not a fan of wrestling, but more I delved into it, it was like, oh, there's, there's some interesting stuff here. And then, is that, you is know, that like WWE like, like, you know, and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's like, you know. All right. So b b before we go on, though, I have to know what kind, what, what sorts of things did you discover in as far as wrestling conspiracies? I, I know. I mean, given that every event is basically dictated by a small group of people in a small room, you know, you'd think like, well, isn't that, you know, very pretty much the definition of a conspiracy. But you know, yeah, beyond that, I mean, there's things like uh, what's well, called the Montreal screw job. Uh, and that just, you know, that just begs to be, uh, you know, in, in a list the Montreal screw job, or it was basically some, um, one of those WrestleManias was held in Montreal. And uh, I think one of the guys who was supposed to have won it, uh, was told, yeah, you're going to win WrestleMania. Didn't. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, so it, was, it became known as the Montreal screw job. And, yeah, and that was sort of a, a fun one. But the one I wanted to talk about is, uh, uh, was, um, utopias, which is quite fascinating. Different people's different attempts at, uh, setting up utopias and some of the, the odder and more comical, uh, attempts by people to create the perfect society. I was curious right up front. How did you decide which groups were going to make the list? Like, how did how did you define what people like, uh, what whether or not it was considered a utopia? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. So, um, I, it, like, I've got another list called like micro nations, uh, mm -hmm. and and there is this very fine line between you know maybe micro nations where people are trying to set up you know their own nation, but very small, and uh, and sort of a utopia. And I mean, ultimately, it's kind of it really sort of it in intent right you know i mean the idea of a utopia is um you know, we have d determined a way uh that our people can live the good life and uh you know maximize the benefit for all versus a a you know a micronation which is um for the most part, it's basically crazy people that just want to call themselves like Emperor Bob, you know, and like that's their end goal. Like they don't, they don't give an F if anybody else is really happy there as long as they can be emperor, 
And uh, yeah, but but there are some micronations, and we'll, we'll we'll talk a bit about those. I think in uh, in, in in the context of the utopias that do have that that um, uh, utopia thing, and then, unfortunately, most of them tend to be um, uh, later attempts at utopias, and almost exclusively by by Anne Randian fans. So we we'll, we can get into that. So <laughs> as I was looking through some of the uh, some of the things that you were sending over, the one that stuck out right away from the very beginning was the Oneida Group or the Oneida, the Oneida Community. Group. Because yeah. I, I grew up in Western New York, and I, I went okay. there as a kid to their to <gasps> to Oneida and did the museum tour and everything. They did not mention that it started off as like a commune. <laughs> well, worse, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Quite yeah. a bit worse. Yeah, well, right. Well, why don't we get right into it? So, uh, you, you know, I kind of want to go a bit historical, but um, uh, let, let's 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 kind of like sort of jump to the middle, and because uh, we sort of brought it up, and then I'll, I'll sort of jump back. But let me just sort of say, right? You know, I mean, Utopia uh, was first. The term itself was conceived by uh, Thomas More. And it, technically, it's from Greek meaning no place, but mm-hmm. also kind of a bit of a pun on the Greek for a good place. But Right, which but, they both sound like utopia. One is yes, O-U exactly. and the other one's E-U in Greek. Exactly. And I mean, kind of, in essence, baked into the name is like, like this is not really possible you know like mm-hmm. like which is kind of you know and which is always fun people who are told basically something no that is impossible you know trying to do the impossible and, and falling flat on their face that's sort of fascinating and uh but i mean i mean the idea of utopia probably goes back to i mean at least plato we all or, or was it uh, um was plato's republic right where yeah it was where republic. um yeah exactly and, and Plato's Republic is actually a good example because, you know, um, you know, Plato's Republic, you know, who are the people at the top of the, uh, of the pecking order, right? You know, uh, well, people just like Plato. Exactly. Yeah, so very, uh, on that, and, and you will you will find that as we kind of go through these utopias, yeah, it's like, um, yeah, just you know, it just so happens that it works perfectly for me, and uh, so it's utopia, you know, yeah, yeah. But Oneida, um, that's fascinating, right? If you. Uh, you know, if you're married or you're just into, uh, you know, equipping your kitchen, Oneida probably jumps out at you, right? As a, they're, they're a maker of, uh, like flatware, like, you know, forks and knives and things like that. And don't make me say the word cutlery because that is not a word I can pronounce ever. Cutlery. Cutlery. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know why, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, and, and, and that is, they are connected to, to, uh, this basically this u- utopia. Yeah. So, so, it was, a guy, it was a guy by the name of uh, John John uh, Noyes. Uh, he, he probably died. He kind of died in the late nineteenth century. Uh, and, and his distinction of basically setting up this this o- Oneida community, and, and it, it has the distinction. And I don't know if they told you when you went to visit. Is basically the first free love community in in America. That absolutely was not on any of the placards. Yeah, on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It gets, well, it gets weirder. Uh, yeah. Twelve-year-old me would remember that. Yeah, yeah. So it was. It was founded in 18, uh, 1848 in basically upper upstate New York. Uh, what what what's the closest? Do you remember what the closest town or city to to Oneida is? I think it's probably Syracuse. Probably okay. closest right, to Syracuse. Then. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So so yeah. Basically, sort of you know set up in the greater Syracuse area, and uh, and now no, noise had this idea that. 
you know, the second coming actually happened in 70 AD. Uh, you know, Jesus had, had returned, but what, you know, kind of took a bit, sort of, sort of like, you know, Groundhog Day, right? Kind of, kind of took a, a look around and went, whoa, there's a little bit too much sinning still going on. I'm going to kind of, you know, go back into my, my, my burrow. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, Noe sort of had this idea that Jesus had returned, but, you know, was, he was actually going to announce himself once the world was completely free of sin. So, it's like a stretch goal, I, 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 I guess. So he, um, he kind of decided he was going to form a, uh, a community, uh, a bit basically that would be free of sin. And then from there, you know, it would ripple out and then the world would become sinless. And then, you know, Jesus would come out of his burrow. That was kind of, kind of the idea. So, uh, he got about 300 followers, sort of, sort of set up a, uh, you know, kind of a commune. One of his principles was like, Look, we're, you know, we're all pretty, we all agree murder's bad and theft is bad and, you know, have one God and all that kind of stuff. So he felt humanity had kind of, they, they were okay with that, but there was still a lot of coveting going around, you know, so coveting your neighbor's wife and coveting your neighbor's property. And he felt if he could just tap that down, then sin would be at an all time low and Jesus would return. In that regard, it was kind of he sort of decided to form a community where basically, you know, n- nobody owned property. So, you know, if, hey, you know, if I want that hammer, I'll just take that hammer. Or if I want that electric bike, I'll t- well, there weren't electric bikes back then, but you, you get the idea, right? <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you didn't have to covet your neighbor's property because it was yours as well. And then it, it is also novel. came to the idea. Yeah. And then he decided, I'm going to apply that to the whole idea of coveting your neighbor's wife. So he he decided that. He called it complex marriage. So basically, you know, nobody would actually. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have polyamory available as a term yet. Right. No, no, exactly. <laughs> Noise is the inventor of the cuddle puddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. Strapping because it gets worse. It gets worse. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so you uh, know, Carl, yeah, so he, briefly. Oh, go ahead. Using the term private or, or personal property mm-hmm. in socialist circles and and people who talk about socialism probably too much. There's this this trope or or this common phrase that goes, "Nobody wants your toothbrush," and it's referring to the term private <laughs> property. Right, where it's commonly yeah. confused because in in academic context, private property is just talking about the means of production, but this often gets confused because instead of saying means of production or something useful like factories and tools or something that means something to anybody in this century, people still often will insist in their dialogue on using the term private property, which again, right. only in academic circles do you understand what that's meant to mean and it creates all sorts of confusion but in this case it really is sharing your neighbor neighbor's toothbrush <laughs> and 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 his wife yes I, I, and, and and his wife so you like your neighbor's hawaiian shirt and his wife and mistress so it's perfect yeah no, that's a good point that i mean it's well, you you might want her to wear the shirt <laughs> yeah. I, I mean one, one thing one thing cranks always get tripped up by is they they, they miss the idea that, that academics, you know, e- though they sometimes use 
terms that are common to us have very, very specific definitions. Like, you know, survival of the fittest does not mean, you know, that because I can run faster and I'm better at putting a spear through your stomach, you know, I'm not threatening you, you know, that, that I, I you know, I, I am, you know, I am a, a evolutionary superior, you know, like it does, it just means, look, I, I was able to, you know, I had three kids. You didn't have any kids. So, I'm more fit. Like that's basically the, you know, the, the concept, but, but yeah, yeah. So, you know, crank, right. Cranks miss the idea that, that, you know, that these terms have very, very specific, well-defined, uh, definitions. And then, right. Then they try to apply the common definition and, uh, things don't work. So, so yeah. So, so, right. So you have the whole idea of the, the common property. And then the idea of like, right. That, you know, complex marriage, nobody can get married. Basically, Perfectly acceptable if you want to walk up to, you know, the, the barista at the, uh, at the commune Starbucks and say, Hey, uh, you know, doing anything tonight? Perfectly fine. So that was kind of the idea there. So, so there would be no more coveting. And, um, and, and this also did actually have the, um, the, the effect of basically, uh, I mean, you can imagine, you know, mid 19th century, women did not, you know, women were probably still fighting to be, you know, well, we're not property, right? You know, don't define us under law as, as property, define us under law as humans. Women were probably still fighting, you know, for that kind of thing. So, but it did actually have the effect of creating a community where women had a lot more agency. So, you know, women had the right, women had the right to say no, or women had the right to go, you know, hey, uh, pool boy, uh, can you come over here and can we talk a bit, you know? So, so it, 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 it kind of had that sort of knock, knock on uh, effect. On the downside, it's, um, and this is kind of coming into the idea of, you know, uh, hey, you know, it, it, boy, it's real strange that, you know, a, a philosopher would decide that philosophers make the best, you know, the, the best rulers of a utopia. That, um, noise, one of his ideas was that he wanted to also produce a, basically a race of super babies. So, um, so they would sort of determine, you know, who, uh, who was actually allowed to conceive. Te technically, well, you know, men and women could, you know, go at each other. Men were actually forbidden from completing the, you know, completing the transaction, right? So, so it was, I mean, it wasn't just about <laughs> pulling out. It was kind of like, you know, just like, okay, I'm, I'm almost there. Well, thank you very much. Goodbye. Like, like it was, it was forbidden to do that. So, so, uh, the only people who were allowed to complete the act was, uh, people determined by noise and a group of people who were, in essence, you know, genetically superior and, and could produce babies. Remarkably, as, you know, a lot of cults kind of go, who do you think was usually judged as the, um, as the, uh, as the most worthy of uh, continuing on his genetic code? Any guesses? <laughs> Well, I'm sure noise was at the top of the list. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, yeah. So commune yeah, is definitely at the top of the list. Pull out only and, unless you're noise. You know, so you can imagine, like you know, things hummed along okay for a while, but people actually started to go. You, you know what? I, I, you know, I like this guy. I like this woman. I kind of just want to pair off. Anytime I lend, anytime people take that Hawaiian shirt, it comes back. You know messy like I, I want that hawaiian shirt for myself so so there, there started to be some trouble kind of brewing in the community and 
as you can imagine, this community had different ideas of age of consent, which, you know, which kind of then conflicted with New York law. And uh, basically, Noyes himself, he had to kind of like basically flee uh, or else he would be kind of, you know, locked up for basically statutory rape. And uh, and he, he then ended up putting his, his son in charge. Uh, and his son, you know, was not a particularly good uh, administrator and stuff like that. Now, meanwhile, <laughs> you know, communes have to somehow make money. And uh, one of the things they kind of got into was, uh, was basically making, making flatware, you know, making, uh, you know, knives and forks and spoons and, and th- things like that. And, uh, and then when, when sort of noise, uh, sort of fled the, the commune, they, they sort of, they are now kind of at liberty to sort of just go back to traditional ways, you know, marriage and having kids and, and that kind of stuff. But the, the, uh, the silverware business actually proved to be pretty lucrative. So, they just continued on basically as a uh, they just like a factory making silverware. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. I, Oneida. I today I don't think if you probably you know went to their website and looked at about the company, uh, I, I imagine they don't talk much about. Yeah, our founder was uh, up for statutory rape, and you know for, we were first free love commune in, in America, and yada yada yada. Right. So. <laughs> I was doing a little bit of reading, you know, just along these topics of utopias, and I came across the Amana colonies. And I thought, there is no way that this could be the same company that's associated with making refrigerators. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I did not it absolutely that is that it came for that it is the, the same company, Amana, came out of the Amana colonies, this other utopian group in Iowa, and ended up turning into the refrigerator company. <laughs> <laughs> I've never encountered that one. Wow. Yeah, that was just a total random, a random occurrence that I was reading along and then I see the Amana colonies and I was like, wait a minute, like that name sounds familiar. I think we had a refrigerator, you know, with it called Amana at some point. And yeah, sure enough, it was, they, they started a company to, again, make stuff. And that was the thing that was interesting is this like, okay, one, one after another, back to back, the Oneida and and Amana I came across and it just occurred to me that, you know, they're still functioning, even if they've detached themselves from this this larger dominant culture, they still have to, a lot of them realize that they, to, to really succeed, they have to function, even as if they function as a unit in relation to the rest of the culture, they still have to do that. And they have to make something or sell something that they can trade so that they can buy things and, oh, exactly. and get, get the things that they can't produce directly. How much no, of our exactly, vision is yeah, really I mean, just uh, some commune or cult that decided to make something? I, our kitchen, you probably I had, had the celestial same seasonings in your cupboard. That's another one. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously some communes or some uh, utopias actually sort of, it, you know, there, there was some uh, net, net, uh, net benefit, but the, uh, the one kind of, um, I, you know, I mean, obviously, it's not the earliest utopian society, but kind of the one I, I sort of have had in, in my historically in my, my list was, uh, and this was kind of in some ways the most destructive. Um, it was called New, New Caledonia, um, and that was uh, that was basically kind of the. Uh, 
the late 17th century. So Scotland, you're familiar with Scotland and, you know, Scotland used to be its own, um, its own country, right? And now it's, you know, part yeah. of the United Kingdom. And, and, uh, if you're ever sort of wondering, well, how, when did they kind of get together? Well, it's all basically, uh, as a result of this new Caledonia. So, you know, you oh, had, I thought uh, it was England, Mel Gibson. And, you know, England was kind of really, dang it. Well, <laughs> I, I know, I know. No, he kept him apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're right. He was trying to keep him apart. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, basically, he had um, England, and they were pretty much, you know, you know, the dominant nation on on, on the planet at at that point. And, and Scotland was um, Scotland was not doing so well economically. Like, uh, UK had a lot of markets and those sorts of things sort of lock, locked up. So there was this guy. Uh, he was a Scottish banker, William Patterson. He sort of decided that you know. We just got to emulate, you know, the sort of the, the, the English way. And, and, you know, they've got the East India Company, uh, you know, kind of out in East India, you know, Southeast Asia, that sort of stuff. We'll, uh, we'll set up, you know, kind of our own version, but, you know, in, in the, in the Caribbean. So, um, so that's they, not they a terrible down. idea. I mean, no, no. On, on its face, it's not a terrible idea. I mean, that's the essential lesson that you get from Adam Smith and the Wealth of Nations is, this is how the nations got wealthy. So if you want to get wealthy, you have to do the same thing as the wealthy nations. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so his, and he had another actually good idea. He, he kind of, you know, he looked at a map and he sort of realized like, you know, well, let's, let's set, let's set a kind of a colony, kind of a utopia in, uh, in, in Panama. And, um, and, you know, and we'll kind of create our, uh, you know, our version, re replicate the, our version of the East India Company there. But he also had the idea, it's like, you know, these ships, they want to get to the, uh, you know, the, the, the West Coast. They really got to, you know, sail around, you know, Americas and, and, and he, he's like, you know what we should, what we can do is, uh, he, it wasn't like he invented the idea of the Panama Canal because he sort of realized that was, you know, probably technologically beyond him. But what he was, what he wanted to do is his new Caledonia was kind of set up two ports on either side, one on the Atlantic, one on the Pacific, and then just kind of create a land route between. So ships could unload their cargo on, you know, new Caledonia East, and then they would kind of, you know, move it across land and load up ships on New Caledonia West and then, then continue. So that was kind of his idea. But this ended up being super, super expensive. And, and Scotland ended up literally like funneling 20% of its national wealth trying to set up this, 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 this colony. Um, and, you know, as a lot of things, uh, as we'll sort of discover too, is, you know, they, they get there and they're like, Oh, oh, oh dear, it's hot here and there's, there's bugs and there's disease. And, uh, so they didn't, they didn't really do too well and they pretty much all kind of started to sort, sort of die off. And, but then the British, you know, the, or sort of the, the English sort of saw what they were doing and they decided, okay, you're not going to set up a competitor. So they sort of told their colonies, uh, in the Caribbean, like, if you trade with these people, we're going to cut you off. So they were just sort of, you know, basically the, the whole thing was kind of, kind of, kind of stillborn ended up bankrupting, uh, Scotland. Uh, and then, uh, and, uh, William Patterson, who originally conceived of, uh, the, the idea, uh, he's, he's, I call it the, uh, he pursued the let the Wookiee win strategy. So he's like, you know, I got a better idea. Why don't we just join with England and form one country? And then we can, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. So that basically is called the, the act, the acts of union in, uh, 1707 was, uh, was sort of, sort of signed. So, um, 
So yeah, so uh, uh, a utopia that that failed and basically took an entire nation down with it. And you know, not from necessarily on its face a bad idea. It was such a good idea. America revisited it in 1903. Yeah, with yeah. a little bit more guns I, I mean, and right, industry. I mean, right, right. It was just before its time. It was a great idea. They just couldn't support it. They didn't have the logistics and the infrastructure to be able to back it up. And they were just too far away. Whereas when the United States tried to pull off the same thing, it was just next door. Yeah. And it had way more wealth available. It had way more ships available. So logistically, they could support all of that effort. The next one is... um Called Nouveau Germania, Nouveau Germania, or New 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 Germany, and uh, and and again, you know, you know, Jim Jones did it in you know, what was it the nineteen seventies? It's like you know, just find some plot of land in South America, Central America, and we'll carve out this this utopia. Everybody kind of gets into the idea. It seems like just yeah, just set up shop someplace in Central or South America. You had basically in the um, sort of, again, the late 19th century, you had a, a bunch of basically, you know, white supremacists, Aryan German white supremacists, l- led by by none other than um, um, Nietzsche's, uh, Nietzsche's sister, Elizabeth Forrester Nietzsche. She was kind of in, involved in this. So her and her husband, they they wanted basically to set up this, this Aryan paradise in, in Paraguay. And it would be, you know, no Jews allowed and that, that, that kind of stuff. And so, so they, uh, they went down to Paraguay. They started to set, set up shop. Now, these people literally believe that, you know, it, it's like, I mean, it's like people who just, just show up unprepared and, you know, well, I'll just take the test anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the path that was blazed by the Jamestown colony. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They did no prep whatsoever. They just figured that like their, you know, their Aryan superiority would just, you know, it would carry the day. So they, uh, they just basically showed up, no provisions, really, no idea about malaria and all, all that kind of stuff. And and um, as you know, the later Aryan Nazis sort of discovered, you know, Stalingrad, right? You're like uh, even Aryans can starve. It didn't last too long. They kind of sh- sort of showed up and um, just w- w- really without any plan to how to farm, no extra provisions. And then a lot of them started dying out. Uh, Nietzsche's sister, uh, Elizabeth, she eventually went back to, to Germany. And, and her husband, uh, uh, he was the one left holding the bills. So he's like, you know, I, I, I will never climb out of debt. He ended up killing himself with an overdose of, uh, of morphine. Now, now, interestingly, a couple interesting things. One, there, there was uh, Joseph Mengele. If you remember, um, uh, you know, Joseph Mengele was sort of probably the mo- one of the most wanted, if not the most wanted, Nazi for for a really long time. Uh, and then there was a big trying to figure out where did Joseph Mengele go to. It was rumored he was staying in Nouveau Germania for a while, or what was what was sort of, sort of left. But um, uh, turns out he 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 wasn't. Now. We can actually kind of roll forward. There was this uh, California politician, uh, David David Woodward. Um, he was kind of a bit, he was like a city councilor for a very very small uh, California town. He he was kind of famous for Timothy McVeigh for some bizarre reason wanted someone to write a uh, a requiem. Uh, before he, he was executed. So this David Woodward guy sort of stepped forward and like, I'll write it for you. And he called it, um, Onward Valiant Soldier. Now, 
Me? I, I might, if I, someone said, hey, could you write a requiem for Timothy McVeigh? I'd be like, okay. But I would call it Die Painfully Racist Bastard, right? You know, I, might, <laughs> I wouldn't call it like, you know, Onward Valiant Soldier. Anyways, so yeah, so he, uh, he ran for uh, city council, this California town. And then for whatever bizarre reason, he decided that I'm going to twin our town with Nouveau Germania and I'm going to sort of set up a, um, a fund for all of the poor Aryan children that are still left in, in the town. And, um, and now he, he would he swears up and down. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Nazi. I'm just very concerned with, um, concerned with, uh, you know, the plight of, you know, Aryan children in, in South, yeah, South he's America. He's a humanitarian. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah. He also started a sort of this weird legend that probably carries on in crank communities, something, something called the feraliminal lycanthropizer. Now this might have been. Oh, that is a mouthful. What does that mean? Could you say that again? Feraliminal lycanthropizer. So he claimed, yeah, he claimed that this was a, uh, again, coming back to the Nazis. Again, the guy claims he's not a Nazi, but he sure does seem to like to do a lot write a lot about Nazis and stuff. If it walks like a Nazi and quacks like a Nazi, it's probably a Nazi. Maybe. A legend. A legend. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he claimed it was a machine invented by the Nazis that, um, uh, you know, basically to turn average the average person to kind of a barbaric super soldier. And one of these devices ended up falling into allied hands after the war. And the U.S. intelligence service has been using it ever since to, you know, drive people kind of crazy and blow up things and commit acts of terrorism and stuff like this. But uh, I think we found the original origin for Havana syndrome. Yes, we have. That is probably, that is probably, I'm sure if you dig deep enough, yeah, there, there is somebody on Telegram. Now, now the, the, the Russians, you know, the Russians, they, they got into the game as, as, as well. They, they got into the Utopia game uh, again in the late sort of 19th century, 1889. There's this guy, uh, Nikolai Ash, Ashnikov, and uh, what he was really fascinated by a, um, a legendary, a legendary character, not, not, not a real person, but, but sort of people thought he was real for a while called Prester John. Have you ever heard of Prester John? Yeah, don't don't tell anybody from the 300 years of the Middle Ages that Prester John was not a real person. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's been a fantasy for white people for for hundreds of years now. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. So so Prester John was kind of a um you remember back when uh, the you know the Mongols were sweeping Europe? The uh, the Mongols were starting to invade Europe, and this sort of legend got out that there was this this uh, priest king named Prester John out in Asia, out in the east, and he had this vast and powerful kingdom, and you know all of these soldiers, and that you know don't worry. The moment the Mongols, you know, if you, if you think everything is bad, don't worry. Prester John's going to be coming up from from the rear and just roll up and just, you know, the cavalry coming over the hill. So Prester John kind of provided this um, succor for uh, for for Europeans when it looked like the uh, the godless hordes were going to basically uh, 
storm into into Rome and, you know, kill the Pope and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But he was totally fascinated by this. And um, he believed that Prester John was in Ethiopia. So, he decided, you know, I'm going to set up, you know, my own Christian kingdom in sort of Eastern Orthodox uh, kingdom in, in Ethiopia and, you know, in, in influenced by, by Prester John. And, and never mind that at that point, he would have had to have been dead. I mean, these people are all, yeah. you know, oh, Eternals oh, like, like Highlander. Yeah, long, long dead. Now, I should also point out he was a Cossack. You probably have an idea where this is probably going to be going. Because, you know, it's like you, you can take the Cossack out of the Caucasus, but yeah, I can't take the Cossack out of the Cossack. So, they, they again, they set up in um, on the shores of the Red Sea. Uh, well, I guess what today is called uh, J- Djibouti. He set up his uh, new Moscow Cossacks, being being Cossacks, they decided trade stats for the week. So they decided they were just going to raid everybody around them for what they needed. So we need food, you need, you know, medicine. We're just going to raid our, our our neighbors. Now, the, the French were actually pretty big in, in that area at the time. They had a lot of con- control. So, you know, eventually they started kind of raiding, you know, French uh, settlements and, and stuff like that. The French contacted, uh, you know, Tsar, I guess it was Tsar Alexander III at the time. So they're like, um, this new Moscow guy, like, can you just, what's he doing? Can you tell him? Come get your boy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And the Tsar was just basically like, I didn't send him, just do what you want with with him. Now, this this is another kind of, where people don't really think too far ahead about setting up utopias and and, uh, micronations, especially if they're on a coast that um, other nations have what you call navies, right? So the uh, so the French are like, okay, we've had enough of this. So so they parked some gunboats off the, the coast of New Moscow and told uh, Ashinov. He said, look, you know, come out with your hands up. We're we're, we're taking you back to Europe to, to stand trial. You'll never get me, coppers. No, ex- exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. You'll never take me alive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, so it's like you, utopias, as we'll so discover, have a very, um, uh, they're not resistant to, to, to gunboats and being shelled. So, yeah. So the French just basically started sort of shelling, uh, uh, New Moscow and eventually they realized, you know, well, maybe we should surrender. And so, yeah, so they kind of, kind of surrendered. It seems like this, this whole theme, uh, for many of these is, Showing up unannounced and hoping for the best. I mean, just no planning. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, you know, it, once you conceive, like we, we, you know, I know the way we all should live. You know, it's people who think that way are probably not thinking things too deeply beyond that, right? So it, it, it's like you know, tr- trust the plan. What's the plan? We'll trust it. You know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. When, when you ha- when you have some sort of idea that you your vision is somehow attached to some kind of divine right too, you don't you think it's just going to work itself out, you know? Like how could it not work out? You know, I'm I'm fulfilling some sort of destiny right now. Everything is going to just fall into place, and then anytime anybody has a concern. I can just tell them to stop worrying and, and, you know, and remind them that they need to have more no, faith. Exactly. I, I, was it, was it your show where I think you were talking about, um, Elon Musk and, uh, who just sort of comes along and he's like, Oh, you know what the problem is, is 
you didn't count on my special genius from being able to solve this problem. Were you guys talking about that at some point? We don't, that's, uh, that's exactly the sort of thing we say. It sounds like something we might be, we might be guilty of saying. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it was one of your your shows where it was just sort of like like this idea that these 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 tech billionaires kind of just think that you you've all probably worked with somebody right who who like the, you know their first day on the job they've got ten different ideas how to make things all better on the job and not realizing that yeah we thought about that ten years ago and. These processes are here because, you know, someone thought of that idea 10 years ago. And, and yeah, exactly. The, the same thing. These, it's that same coworker that first day thinks they know how to fix everything. And, but, you know, thank God they're not setting up a utopia in the lunchroom, right? <laughs> well, coincidentally, Elon Musk just announced the building of a new subdivision outside of Austin that he's calling a utopia. No, really? <laughs> what he doesn't realize is that he's just reinventing the company town, but no, he's exactly, calling it a utopia. Exactly. Oh, of course. Exactly. In the, uh, in getting the theme of, uh, 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 Europeans trying to set up colonies and, and, and they, they forget that other nations have, have gunboats. Uh, there's this guy, uh, Gab Gabriel Denunzio, uh, yeah. Gabriel Denunzio. Um, he was a uh, Italian poet and we'll get back to that. Uh, but he was also like a kind of an elite soldier, uh, Italian soldier, super ultra nationalist. And, um, obviously, you know, at the end of World War One, he kind of noticed that, you know, France and, and, and America and the British, you know, they, they kind of had a seat at the big boy table and Italy was off to the side. They didn't have a whole lot of say in, you know, the future of Europe. So he was kind of upset and, and, and he had this vision that he wanted, you know, Europe to be, or he wanted Italy to be a great power. And one of the things that really kind of, you know, burned his ass was, uh, there was a very small, Italian seaport town called Fiume that for reasons too complicated during the whole peace negotiations and the Paris Peace Conference of 1919, uh, they decided that that little Italian town would go over to uh, Yugoslavia. It would become a Yugoslavian town. Now, this pissed him off. Like, like you know, how dare, you know, the French hand over an Italian town to Yugoslavians, right? So, what he did is so he, uh, he basically formed up a posse of, uh, different sources have different numbers. Some say 200, uh, of his sort of former elite troopers. Some, some say 2000, but a, a, a sizable number of his former compatriots who are also sort of elite troopers. They just marched into, uh, Fiume in, uh, 1919 and, and took it over. And the, um, and like, it's, it's ours. And then they contacted, you know, the Italian government and they're like, we got it. Uh, you can have it back. And the Italian government's like, well, no, we kind of signed a treaty. Uh, we can't just take it back. There's the, you know, there, there, there's a treaty. The, the Italian government said, listen, we had a very nice dinner in Versailles and, uh, they, <laughs> we don't want to spoil it with our new friends. So, yeah. So, so, so Denunzio, he decides, okay, well, if Italy doesn't want it back and, and I'm sure as the hell not giving it to Yugoslavia. It's mine. So he, uh, he, he sets up his own little, uh, utopia. He calls it the Italian Regency of Carnaro. He, uh, decides it's going to be a fascist corporate state. And now things are going to start to sound real familiar here. He, uh, he calls himself Il Duce. 
I love that part. That's my absolute yes. favorite. Yes, yes, exactly. He calls himself <laughs> Il, Il Duce. He uh, starts, uh, him and his followers start wearing a lot of black uh, military uniforms with like, with death heads on, on them. And uh, he likes to give what was at one point called the Roman salute, but we would know, now know it as the, the Nazi salute. His idea is that his, his, his utopia would basically be like almost like nine castes or nine corporations. And everybody had to, uh, had to be slotted into one of these nine corporations or nine castes. So you were a factory worker. You were a farmer. You were a seafarer. You're a teacher. You know, you're a doctor. Some, those, 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 those kinds of things. Now, again, we're coming back to the whole of saying the whole Plato, uh, the whole Plato thing where, at the top, there was a super kind of a super cast called superior individuals. And, uh, in that group were, they were the leaders, but they were also the poets. <laughs> so remember this guy, the, 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 the natural kings. cream that rises to the top of society. <laughs> yes, exactly. Always, always designated as the ruling class in all great cultures. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So, I know. <laughs> I, I I remember when I was in uni- when I was in university I uh, there there was there was a career fair and I went to all the different desks I was working for my student newspaper I was going to turn it into like a, an article but I went to all the different booths where they're like you know Deloitte Touche Accounting and you know General Motors and stuff like that and I would go up to the desks and be like so are you hiring poets and they would just like look at me like uh, what yeah I'm a poet uh, you got any jobs for poets and they'd be like. Not really, you know. Uh, are you a programmer? I'm a poet, you know. So yeah, it was, it was quite it was quite interesting. Some of the looks they got, but this guy, I might might have, you know, I might have been, a, uh, uh, I might have had a good job on. on uh, you would have done well, in the Italian Regency of Carnaro. Yes, exactly. That scene in yeah. uh, History of the World Part One where he goes up, he said uh, he's out of work and he's he's trying to get a, a check and he and he says. Uh, uh, I'm a stand-up philosopher. Oh, you're a bullshit artist. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so it's a D'Annunzio guy. Basically, everything that the Nazis and uh, Mussolini did you know, a decade or two later, he he kind of mapped out. He 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 was sort of the uh, the proof of con- concept for for this. And uh, but again, you know, Mussolini wasn't quite in in, in power then, and then there, there was a lot of sort of like. Okay, you know, his little thing has gone on a lot long enough. And again, the Italians, they, you know, they, they park some gunboats off, off the coast of the Italian Regency of Canarno and, uh, they basically, um, get him to capitulate. He sort of comes out, but, but by the time he's actually sort of hauled back to Italy and, and has to face trial, Mussolini is now in, in power and, um, and Mussolini's like, you know, hey, you're my boy. So yeah, he kind of avoided, uh, you know, being prosecuted. This guy also had the idea. He, uh, he, he did not like the League of Nations, which was sort of the, the precursor to the United Nations. So he wanted to set up a competing United, uh, competing League of Nations. So he felt that the League of Nations kind of things had, had an ass backwards, you know, that the League of Nations, you know, they wanted to bring peace to the world. And he thought, no, no, no. Uh, what we, uh, we need a basically a League of Nations that wants to encourage nations to go to war with each other. So it's only through sort of endless <laughs> war that, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
and and of course Mussolini's only condition for this guy was here's the thing there can be only one Il Duce so I'm gonna need that name hand it over bud I, I he was probably was probably smart enough to know to to, to, to hand it over Uh, now staying staying with uh, our, our our Italian brethren, I I love Italians. We're not picking picking on them. Best best people in the world, Italians. Um, and this one was actually kind of really interesting. Um, was a, he um, he was an Italian engineer by the name of Giorgio Rosa, and he I think he he, he died fairly recently, uh, 20, 20, 2017. Guy was like a huge fan of Esperanto. Now Esperanto is is called a constructed language. So um so he was an engineer. He loved Esperanto, and he's like, and if you construct a language, why can't you just construct? A country, right? So got this idea, like you know, they're ignoring the fact that nobody likes Esperanto. <laughs> no, he, exactly. Well, he, 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 I know, I know. He, 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 he. You're, you're going to get letters. I'm telling hey, you. <laughs> let, let's start a country with a Klingon. <laughs> Everybody loves Elvish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the, uh, yeah. So this guy, Giorgio Rosa, Mister Rosa, he uh, what he decides he's going to do is he's going to build a, he's going to build a, a sort of basically a, a platform uh, about not not too far out outside of Italian territorial waters. So he kind of finds a sandbank and he sort of sinks um, sinks posts into the into the water and he, and he builds a uh, he builds basically a, a platform. It was it was about four thousand square square feet. So um, you know that I mean if that was a house that would be a that would be a pretty decent sized house, a four thousand square foot house. He makes this in uh, uh, 1968. Um, he declares himself president and uh, makes, of course, <laughs> Esperanto the official language of his uh, new <laughs> language of the realm. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. I know, yeah. He calls it uh, Respublique de la Insula de la Ro- Rosaja, or, uh, which is basically the Republic of Rose Island. Uh, n- names it after himself, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so. It becomes uh, becomes an oddity, a bit of a tourist attraction. Uh, you know, people sort of go there, and they, you know, they 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 take little boats out there, and they kind of have a good time. What he makes the mistake is he decides, like, hey, you know what? I'm going to start selling stamps, and I'm going to have gambling, and I'm going to sell souvenirs. And then now the Italian government is kind of like, you're Italian. Italians are going over there. They're spending money. Where's our sales tax? <laughs> so. So that's when the Italian government decides, like, okay, you've had your fun, but, you know, if you're going to avoid sales tax, uh, fun's over. You are in America. Now, when I lived in Seattle, I would, you know, I would go up to Vancouver and then go back to Vancouver and come home. Now, when you go, uh, when you go back into America, the only thing American border guards want to know is, can you legally work here in America? If you can, I can have my trunk. I mean, just full of maple syrup and butter tarts, and I don't give a, they don't give a rat's ass, right? <laughs> now, if I go back to Canada, first they want to know, ooh, 
you've got American plates on your car. Do you have any guns? No, I don't have any guns. Um, <laughs> but their biggest concern is like, do you have, you know, do you have a trunk full of cigarettes and alcohol? Because that's highly taxed in Canada. So, so there's a lot of nations like Canada and Europe that, that, that their first concern is like, we got to protect the tax base. So, so Italy is, was quite the same. It's like, yeah, that, that's fine. But, you know, you are selling all this stuff. You're not paying taxes. So they decided they're going to sort of shut, shut it down. So again, I, I really thought that this was like going to be a failure from, from, uh, uh, like a low rent Dubai islands situation where no, it just starts sinking no, the, underneath him. <laughs> no, no. Well, the, uh, the, we'll get there. But um, yeah. So again, <laughs> more gunboats are involved. The, uh, the Italian Navy sends out some more gunboats and parks a couple off Rose Island. And, and you know, they, they, they make them basically give, give up. They, they, they sort of see the uh, writing on the wall and they, they sort of give up. Once everyone's off the platform, they, they, they start shelling it. Now, this guy was an uh, engineer and uh, he did a really got good job building it. So they were really unable to sort of shell, shell, completely shell it. So they sent some, uh, some Navy divers who then put a bunch of explosives, uh, and, and sort of blow it up that way. So there's a movie on Netflix called Rose Island that is actually based on, on, on this, on this story. So I, I definitely recommend watching it. It's pretty good. Kind of more into, into, uh, modern, modern times. After the kind of the 1970s, like, you know, kind of the hippies and the idealists and the free lovers and all, they, they, they kind of like, they sort of, sort of, sort of gave up. And the people that have really cornered the market on u- utopias are, are basically the, the libertarians who all tend to also be the, the, the Anne Randians. They, I don't know if you've ever read, um, Atlas shrugged, but, uh, I won't hold it against you if you, if you, if you, if you yep. did. Okay. Right. So yeah, so there's there's a thing called uh, Galt's Gulch. It's a, sort of the idea that you, you know, this all the idea is that uh, you know, there's there's a car company that the the owner of the car company decides that they're going, oh, we're just going to pay workers fairly. And then John Galt, who was an engineer, I think, sort of designed this magical energy car or something, was like. That's not fair. <laughs> and then buggered off and then started some sort of, you know, revolution of, you know, the, the thinking people, the doers. And, uh, and then they, they all, uh, then in this book's, you know, fantasy world, they all went on strike and retreated to, uh, some town in Colorado and set up their own little utopia there called, uh, Gulch Gulch. But, but a, a, another term for it, they also called it Atlantis. Now there have been a whole yeah yeah <laughs> there've been a whole series of, of and we're back yeah exactly since <laughs> Atlantis again yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> there have been a whole series of uh, of basically you know uh, and Randian libertarians since the 1960s who decided like I'm gonna try and set up my own you know Galt sculpture my own Atlantis and, and and stuff like that and I, I think the the, fir- the first guy was uh, a guy named Werner Werner. Stifle. Um, I'm not sure too sure how he how he made his money, but he but he he had he had some he had some coin on him. What he wanted to do was basically uh, sort of build a ship, and then he was going to anchor the ship someplace in the in the Caribbean, and that would then be, become oh well, actually after the the off the coast of the Bahamas, he was going to uh, anchor it off the coast of the Bahamas, and then declare it a 
free nation. That's an idea that just won't die yes. either. We covered that in one episode recently. We, we've talked about the seasteaders before, and this is this is an idea that keeps coming back up. Of in, in some in some variations, it's going to be uh, this flotilla of of yachts and ships that are going to form this this micro nation. And other variations, it's pylons with structures built yes. on them. Uh, there's been people who have talked about repurposing decommissioned oil derricks off sea drilling and platforms. The Satoshi, and yeah, or yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Satoshi <laughs> Island is another one. Um, it keeps going where they think they can somehow detach themselves mm -hmm. from the world and like sort of recreate some sort of like Monaco type you know, casino, crypto island or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, remarkably, he um, he uh, he did manage to kind of build this big cement ship and he did manage to get it to the to the Caribbean. And uh, but I think he only got as far as Haiti. So he never really got to Bahamas, but he he got as far as Haiti and he decided, OK, I'm just going to sort of set up set up there. Now, now, the Haitian government is, again, kind of looking and going, you're doing what? <laughs> and no, I think the Haitian government just figured they were like treasure hunters. They were lo looking to sort of dive on sunken ships and, and, you know, would be sort of robbing, robbing those. So uh, they didn't sort of believe them that they were like, no, we're just going to set up a new nation. And again, now the Haitians send out the gunboats. And, uh, and then that was again the, the, the end of uh, Atlantis one. And then they're always startled when, when a nation exerts its sovereignty over its surrounding waters. And and he, here's the balance though with the, like with these groups when it always like it's it's always they're always trying to balance or to walk this line between being in international waters, which is a free for all, mm -hmm. which means that you can be a victim of piracy, versus being in somebody's sovereign waters, which means and 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 affording you some protection from mm -hmm. from that kind of high seas robbery. Are those sea bandits, Dave? <laughs> so they tend to pick nations <laughs> that they don't think are going are likely to exert these these international sovereignty claims in their waters, and which is why I see I think Haiti was probably a you know a good candidate for them. They're like, oh, they won't mind. Yeah. You know, the same thing happened to the group off the coast of Thailand. They they were parked offshore from Thailand, it well inside their 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 national waters, and just started building stuff. As if you can just do that. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And I mean, end of the day, I mean, even if you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and then you decide, I'm going to build a country, right? Hypothetically, then you have, you know, if people wanted to recognize you as a country, nobody would. But if, you know, you, you have territorial waters. Now, there's a thing called the U.S. Navy, right? And the U.S. Navy right. has a, 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 <laughs> a very hard and fast policy about freedom of navigation. I mean, you know, the, I mean, the Chinese have been trying to build some massive ass platform in the China Sea or some, some, something like that. Manufactured islands, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's part of China, territorial waters. And the U.S. Navy's like, no, <laughs> no. So, so yeah. And that, that, yeah, that's ultimately the thing is, is, is that, yeah, go ahead and build something in the middle of the ocean. But at some point, the U.S. Navy is going to go, no, uh, we're not going to respect your territorial waters. We're going to sail right through your, your These people have some kind of a Kevin Costner fantasy where they're just going to be... <laughs> or the Waterworld fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, One of those groups did buy a, uh, a decommissioned oil tanker 
and tried to convert it into some kind of habitation. Yeah. Well, I think I think as L. Yeah. Ron Hubbard, right? For a while, he 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 did that. He had uh, he had a couple ships, and back when he was kind of like. Uh, in big tax trouble, he decided moved his whole operation to like a right. Couple he took ships. everything offshore. Yes, exactly, yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, and they, they still have that as a big fixture in Scientology. Oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, this naval tradition yeah. and the uniforms. I mean, that's everything. a whole other well, take on offshore accounts. <laughs> well, there, there's there's a couple really good books out there about uh, you know the history of Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard that uh, you know that are not like you know uh, that are. Uh, you know, sort of honest portrayals, and yeah, and when you when you yeah when you hit the chapter of like the forming of the Sea Org and the you know the Apollo and the Minerva and and there, it's just it's it's comedy. It's like it's just complete comedy. Now the next attempt, and this one was was called uh, Oceania or the Atlantis Project. So again, it's like these. I don't know what it is <laughs> with these sort of like kind of libertarian. Like they're not good with coming up with creative names. It's like, well, what did the last guy call it? Atlantis. Okay, let's call it Atlantis too. So yeah, so Oceania, uh, <laughs> aka the Atlantis Project, and then this guy, uh, this guy started it in uh, 19, 1994, kind of just at the dawn of of the the internet. Eric Klein was the guy's name. He had made money in um, Alcor. They are the cryonics, you know, like uh, you know, you know, your uh, your dad, the baseball legend, is going to die. You know, let's freeze his body. Who is that guy? <laughs> Well, uh, Stephen Fry. No, oh, no. There was there was some there was some, um, some famous major leaguer who died, and he wanted his body frozen or something like that. But oh, I wish I could remember again. That my well, my, Timothy my McVeigh had his head frozen. Did he? Well, oh that's no, sorry, the, McVeigh. <laughs> I said McVeigh. Jeez, I was just reading about him. Oh God, not McVeigh. Um, <laughs> no, oh no, uh, uh, the the LSD guy. God, I can't remember. His oh, name Timothy right now. Leary. Timothy Leary. Leary. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Timothy Leary had his head frozen when he died. He was. He was. He, his head was removed from his body and then frozen cryogenically. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that that's one of the alternatives. It's like the cheaper, the cheaper, <laughs> the cheaper plan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is all just a rip off of Futurama. Yeah, yeah. Well, well this inspired Futurama. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah the idea there is like, oh, head. Really, yeah, <laughs> they just sort of need the head, and they'll be able to, yeah, re- put the brain in something. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's not just about restarting the body, and you know, and then uh, you're, now you're waiting for like a whole another level of technology to kind of kind of take right. over. But yeah, but yeah, but the Klein guy he, again, he decided he was going to set up his own nation. I, I guess he he ran for office in uh, in Nevada, and, and he lost, you know. And as, as is kind of typical, sometimes when people lose, it's like I didn't lose because I suck as a candidate. I lost because of election fraud. So he, um, you know, he was trying to get <laughs> like the media interested in like all this election fraud that you know just sunk his candidacy. And they're like, no, that's not not true. So he decided, well, you know what, another, another man before his time <laughs> yeah no, exactly that works yeah. a lot better now <laughs> yeah so he decided he's gonna sort of okay i'm i'm out of here he was gonna sort of set up again his own sort of uh island nation again in the caribbean was 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 his i i i idea and uh he, he started selling he started selling basically started selling passports uh online for 250 dollars a passport 
you, you could sort of be a, you know, basically a founding father for you know, $250. You don't got to put on a little cap and load up your musket or anything like that. You're just 250 <laughs> bucks and you're, 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 you're done. So, uh, so yeah. So that was kind of his, uh, his, his business plan. I, I think he tried to uh, attract some, you know, bigger investors and, and stuff like that. Now he, you know, he made a big stink about, you know, look, we're going to set up this libertarian and Randian, uh, utopia in the Caribbean. And, you know, there won't be any laws and, you know, there will be no lawyers allowed on the island. And, you know, we're all just going to, going to, going to get along. Uh, naturally, money starts to go missing, and uh, people are kind of like, <laughs> yeah, "Dude, I paid two hundred fifty for my passport. Where's my Where's my country?" Right? You know. And, uh, so it all ended in you know these people who were like, you know, uh, who believe that you know they could create a nation without lawyers. They ended up all getting lawyers and suing each other, and the whole thing just basically collapsed. So. <laughs> There are literally like at least two or three more attempts. Again, all being called Ocean, you know, Oceania, uh, you know, Atlantis. That again, following have have tried to sort of get off the uh, get off the mainland and set up their own little island nation. And again, it all it all ends up collapsing because people start suing suing each other. It just turns into another repeat of Fire Music Festival, but libertarian. Yeah, well, yes. Writ large, yes, yes, yeah. There, there's a fixation with this too, with like the, this, this, um, the idea of excluding lawyers. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned was the, uh, um, you know, I think it was in the in the info that you sent over about the, uh, yeah, it was the uh, the Abia Critile and oh, yeah, Critile. Yeah. This connection to the French author Rabelais and and his uh, and his book. One of the passages in that book refers to an inscription at the gate to this utopia that he writes about. And the people that, you know, this is the quote that I found. The inscription at the gate first specifies who is not welcome. Hypocrites, <laughs> bigots, the pox ridden, goths, magoths, straw chewing law clerks, usurious grinches, <laughs> old or officious judges, and burners of heretics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a, an interesting group of people to all gather together to say you're not allowed. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that one was really interesting because, uh, uh, yeah, uh, la, 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 de, 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 I think would might be the closer to the French pronunciation. Right, right. Yeah, it was, it was based on, right, uh, a French author from like the, the, the 16th, 16th century. Uh, and he wrote a book, it was Gargantua and Patagruel or yeah, yeah, that's and, it. And yeah, and yeah, again, his whole idea was, and and actually, uh, Alistair Crowley, he he borrowed a lot of ideas from from this as, what as well. What a connection to like what, what a like what a genealogy <laughs> to like to to piece together to see who the descendants of of yes. this book ha turned out to be. It, you know that Alistair Crowley is inspired and sets up an abbey with the the same name that you used in your book. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, the French author, yeah, he had called it la, la bille, uh, de, de the, Thalem. So, th th Thalem, like Thalemic magic, you know, Alistair Crowley's sort of ma mm -hmm. magical system. Yeah. And right. And it's right out there, the, in his book, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, there's no, there is no law except to do what you will. The whole, right. of Alistair Crowley, the whole, that's the, the whole of the law. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. 
do totally as that borrowed, borrowed it from, from, from that. Yeah. And, and just borrowed the, his whole, you know, Thelmic magic, uh, name term right from that, that, that author. Yeah. But, but yeah, these, these guys were artists who sort of loved the book too. And so, yeah, they, they tried to set up a, an art commune, but you know, at some point, you know, your, your printing press breaks down. You're, you're, if you're all just poets and authors, like they, someone's got to come in and fix that thing. And they're, they're not going to want to like, well, I'll write you a poem if you fix my uh, printing press. <laughs> right. I'll gladly, I'll gladly trade you a scathing diatribe and, and, uh, in exchange for some food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, do, you, do you remember there was, a, I think the only one that really carried that off was a, uh, God, I forgot the guy's name. I think he passed away. He, he was an artist and his art was making stunningly accurate reproductions of American currency. So he, he would do like a hundred dollar bill <laughs> by hand. <laughs> and, uh, and then he would go, to, he, he would, he would go to like, like a hotel, you know, with a stack of his art. And he would say, it looks like a hundred dollar bills. <laughs> But this, this is art. This is not currency. This is my art. Uh, and I will trade you my art for uh, a night's stay. And, you know, you get a lot of very confused people who, who were never quite sure about what, what was going on. But, uh, but the, the, the gimmick was that if you did accept his art, his, you know, say his five $100, his five works of art that just happened to look like $100 bills, uh, there were a group then of collectors who would then, you know, come to that hotel and go, okay, you know, you gave $500 of service for that, that art. We will give you $2,000 real money you know, for, for that art. So there are people that then collected that, you know, yeah, so it was a very interesting gimmick. Of course, you know, the secret service, they're, they're not, they're not hip, you know, yeah. They weren't a fan of They're his art. Lovers. They, they, Everybody's a critic. Yes, they were not, and they. they I wish I, for, I could remember the guy's name, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Uh, it shouldn't be hard to kind of just Google on uh, Google on it, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I think I, I think he, he died. But very interesting idea of like you know like it, he would sort of point out to the you know to the Secret Service. It's like like look you know in you know in your own museum you have counterfeit money displayed as art you know like 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 you are calling it art as well like like yeah very very interesting very interesting character In all of the research that you've done so far for all these utopias and micronations, have you gotten any insight or do you have any ideas that, that have started formulate, uh, forming up about what motivates people in general to do this? I, you know, like what, what is there, do you, have you seen any common threads between the founders of these, of these communities? Well, I mean, I mean, other than someone always ends up parking a gunboat off the coast of your, uh, your, your utopia <laughs> and then sort of, you know, brings reality back into strict focus. Uh, yeah, I, I, like I say, it's just mostly, you know, it, it long time ago there, there was, there was a, a, a podcast, um, wish I could remember the name, but it was a bunch of kind of like atheist theologians who kind of taught 
in Michigan, and uh, and they would talk about you know religion and atheist issues and stuff like that. And they they always had a segment called "God Thinks Like You," and just the ways that uh, you know, like it, it's it's really, it's really <laughs> you know, it's like isn't it amazing that God thinks just like me? You know, isn't that kind of kind of kind of cool? Yeah, but basically that that's it. That it, it, it's the idea that my utopia, you know, Sean Jules, what works for you? What works for you? And you you live good, happy lives, right? But you don't get into your mind like Jules. Like um, everybody else in the world needs a little octopus poster on their wall. Sorry, you, people can't see your, your your webcam, but you have a you have a little poster of an octopus on your, <laughs> yeah. your wall, right? You'd actually be surprised yeah. how often he does assume <laughs> everybody else needs the things that That's make him exactly happy, right? Yeah, I mean, how else could it be? And I mean, after that, it's just it's just it's it's just you know a lot of charisma and 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 finding the right people, you know, uh, especially. You know, these days, I think we did we talk about Nasara a while ago. We, yeah, we have we touched upon it, I think, when I was yeah, on your yeah, show, so. actually. Uh, we 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 talked about Nasara yeah. a little bit and that idea, which is you know, it's not its own community, it's not creating a separated community, but it is creating a separated economy or at least vision yeah. of the economy. You know, it really is a shared delusion about the about our economic system. So, yeah, that's it's it's not that no, much it different. It's 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 a shared delusion. You don't realize it, but it becomes interesting that it can be remarkably easy if you really worked at it a little bit. You could find anybody could find three hundred followers to believe your harebrained scheme and 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 run with it. You know, if you if you had a certain amount of, of, of charisma, you know, Sean, you got a good deep voice. There there are three hundred people out there that will will give their worldly goods to you if you just had some 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 lick and promise of a better life. Well well thank you very very much for the inspiration, Carl. And I see that I uh, I now have exactly. to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go find yeah, my followers. Exactly. But yeah. But I, I mean I, I liken uh you know the, the idea of of utopia, I, I like to like it's the it's like I call it, it's it's sort of the, the diet book of uh, philosophies, you know that that you, you, you go to like you, you bar, are there still Barnes and Nobles? You go to a Barnes and Noble and you look at the you know the diet book section. There's a hundred diet books, right? And it's like, and then you, you know, ten years later, there's a hundred new diet books. You'd think by now you would find the one diet that just worked, right? And, and they, they don't, you know, and it's like, because it's, it's complicated that there's no, there's no one diet out there that works for everybody. And, and it's not going to work for everybody forever. And, and same things with utopias, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, if after like, I mean, what since the days of Plato or Thomas More, if no one's cracked that nut by now, then, you know, Elon Musk and his special genius is not going to be the one who comes along and, and cracks it. You know, they've been really smart people working that for, for <laughs> generations and centuries. And it's probably not ever going to be, it's going to be remain no place. There's, there's gotta be, uh, it seems like there's a lot of influence from the environmental conditions. I mean, not to sound too Marxist about this, but uh, there, there, there's definitely the invitation for cranks to get a bunch of, uh, followers together and, and attempt some kind of utopia. Uh, I, I noticed that a lot of the ones that we've talked about today are in the 19th century specifically, and that some of them are even around the exact same time of 
1870s, 1880s. And uh, these are around the same times that, that we're seeing huge transformations throughout the world. Uh, there, I mean, it's right after uh, the revolutions of 1848. It's pretty much right in the midst of the second industrial revolution. So you see a lot of stuff happening in the, in the 19th century that you're, you're also having a whole bunch of people in totally invited to give their own idea of how this works. And if it's, if it's, uh, not going to be, uh, the cranks that we talked about here, then it's going to be somebody else who splits off and starts their own commune. I, I think that there's definitely something to the, a niche that's getting filled by some kind of social transformation or, or economic transformation well, yeah, or I'm upheaval. Yeah. That time period really is. It's as if we, somebody put out a giant suggestion box and just asked everybody, what do you think? How can we improve? <laughs> and the, and then, you know, the, because you do have this huge group of people that come in and, you know, and then just put in their two cents. One of the things you sent over to us, uh, Carl, was uh, was Henry Ford's submission to the, you know, the idea of the, the perfect plan community. And, you know, that's right along the lines of the Elon Musk yes, company yes. town with the, uh, you know, where everything gets, you know, the, about the only thing you could, you could add to it is that everything gets paid for with company script <laughs> instead of money. Yeah, this is at the same time period where you have all of this new thought and theosophy going on inside the United States too. Like we really seem to be a hotbed here. You know, we're real, this is a very conducive melting pot to create a bunch of fringe communities. And I, maybe some part of it has to do with just how much open yeah. space there is here so that you can really just get away. One of the, one of the greatest success stories of a, uh, you know, sort of a, a, per, a planned utopia is the Mormons. Yeah. And, you know, they actually made it. I mean, they like really made it. <laughs> and it, and the, in a way that many of the others just haven't. They were able to make it because they could just keep moving away from the people yes, trying to yes. kill them. And they finally got so far away that nobody <laughs> they, wanted exactly. to follow them anymore. It was a little bit of an effort filter. They made it so well that these days they're trying to hide their assets. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, that's interesting that like maybe if you look at sort of the, you know, the 19th century and before, uh, you know, there, there was, it was, what was, was a time, right, where, um, government was not ubiquitous and ever present that, that you could set up a little utopia someplace and it would take a few years, right, before the gunboats came, came along. And, uh, right, before they catch up with you. Yeah, exactly. Now, but 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 now, you know, you know, you you know, what was that Warren Jeffs guy that 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 uh, weird Mormon offshoot dude? Right, right. People are going to catch on pretty soon. It's, they're putting up fences and they're bringing in machine guns and 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 you know that that sort of stuff. So so I mean that's why kind of you know you look at the 20th century and the 21st century now where people are. I can't just sort of set up a a you know uh, uh, my Anne Randian utopia in Colorado because. People are going to want me to pay tax, really. And so I have to sort of, uh, you know, find a sandbar off the coast of Tonga and, and build a platform there kind of thing. So, so yeah, the, the world today is, yeah, it's government is truly ever present. And, and, and yeah, the only, the only place you can build the utopia is, is, is outside. There's, there's one failed utopia that I think of that doesn't really fit with this list because this f list is kind of, this cast of characters have certain things in common, but 
in on the note of the 19th century, uh, the Paris Commune was 1871. Didn't even last the whole year. <laughs> and pretty much every major socialist thinker in the 19th and 20th century won't shut the fuck up right, about right, it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, like everyone from Kropotkin to Marx to, to uh, you name it, talks about this one blip that was the failed utopia. And so I, I think that sometimes the failed utopias may inspire other ideas that actually do happen, even if the utopia itself is a, a you know, just a, a drop in the bucket or well, just I, a flash in the pan. Back in the nineties when, you know, uh, you know, the iron curtain was falling and all these, you know, former communist countries were, you know, be, becoming, uh, you know, capitalist societies and stuff like that. I remember the, uh, I, I, you introduced me to the term tankies, which I think is just the greatest term ever. The tankies that the, that the, the, the last <laughs> hope was, uh, if I have one good contribution yeah, can, in this yeah. world. The, the last hope was Albania. I believe Albania <laughs> remained the last communist country in Europe for a really long time. And people would like, no, Albania's communist and it totally works. Although Albania, some, something like half the population got involved in a pyramid scheme. And and just the whole economy just collapsed into the <laughs> civil war, and it it, it was ugly. So, uh, but I, I, I get, but I guess you can't actually blame communism because they had did, they did move to a market based economy. But people were like, but we thought that's the way that's the way markets worked. You just gave somebody money, and they gave you more money later on. Like like, like they they seem to believe that a, a pyramid. That's scheme, how I live. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not checking my retirement plan because that is not. <laughs> that's not happening in the last couple of years. Yeah. Are you guys good there? Yeah, we're. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think we we cover some pretty interesting interesting ground and some interesting waters. Yeah, exactly. A lot of waters. <laughs> so. Carl, could you tell us where people can find you and where they can find your book? All right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I I, I still do my podcast, although it is fairly infrequently that I, that I, that I do it. Um, uh, Conspiracy skeptic, and again, you can find it on iTunes or you go to yrad.com forward slash cs. You can find it there. And I I wrote a book. My book is um, uh, Skeptic's Book of Lists. And uh, just, you know, if you're familiar with the old book of lists from the early 80s, it's kind of similar kind of concept, just a lot of interesting lists. And, and uh, you know, the idea that it's like it's um, it's something you can kind of read and then go, that can't possibly be right. And you jump onto the Internet and you find out and you just go down a whole kind of rabbit hole of, of more information. So, yeah. So I I. Uh, I and as Sean and I uh, said last time, it's such a great book. Oh, I mean, you. we both got it, and, and I, I still love uh, looking through it to try to find inspiration for an episode. Oh wow! Okay, oh, that's that's really nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got finished that in uh, like published it last October, and then uh, nice thing about Amazon publishing system is. As you find typos, you can go back and update it. And, and I think if you look on my, uh, my title page, you'll see something like 1.19. So there have been 19 versions of it since I originally published it. So I've updated it 19 times, which is, which is actually kind of nice. It, it is, is nice. good for the, for the digital copies. Yeah. That you can just push those updates and then yeah. everybody who's previously, previously purchased it just has the revised version. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So yeah. And then when I got that, I was like, I mean, that was, I was like, this, we're 
talked about last time was my COVID project. It's just like, I don't know what to do with my mornings. Uh, so I would just start writing the book. And then when I got done it, I'm like, now what the hell do I do in my mornings? So I'm like, I'll just write another one. So this one I decided was going to sort of focus on more on conspiracies. And uh, if you just sort of bear with me, let me, let me just read you my the, the actual title. So it's the Conspiracy Skeptics Book of Lists, colon. Very important to have colon in book titles these days. That's the mistake I made with my first one. Didn't have a colon. Um, so colon, Conspiracies, Deception, and the Invisible Made Visible. So that would be the kind of the, 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 the idea. So again, it's just, it's conspiracies, but also this, this, this hidden world that kind of that is underneath our, the world we, we notice. And, uh, it, it can become fertile ground for conspiracy cranks. But I also want you to kind of know, like, I love the thing. It's like, if you look at clocks, like you look at a lot of clock ads, you will see like for watches, uh, you'll see, uh, the hands are at 10, 10. Mm-hmm. People are like, well, that's, you know, that's when the guy originally invented the clock. That's the time he died or, you know, that's the mark, the, the time of JFK's assassination, stuff like that. And it, it, it's uh, not, people are dumb. No, it's not, it's not that interesting. <laughs> it's just like, you know, like most, most companies, they put the watch brand under the 12. So if you have uh-huh. the, the hands at 10, 10, the hands frame it. It just makes a nice, it just makes a nice frame. And it's just a nice little visual thing. That's all. But again, people will see that 10, 10 and they, they can't think of why. And then they invent elaborate stories. And that's, that is, that's a, cons- that's what conspiracies are all about. I personally don't understand. And this seems to be the only logical explanation to me. And I'm going to, I'm going to fight you tooth and nail to defend that crank belief I've come up with. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that will probably be out by summer or late summer, early fall. I'm going to take my time on, on this one. You, you want to get something out before the Christmas buying season surprise, you know? So, yeah, but we'll definitely have to have you come back when, uh, when the book is out and that way we can, we can talk about all the, all the other things that have been included in it between oh, yeah. now and then. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Wet Wired. Make sure to go out and become a Disneyland valued customer. <laughs> and if you want to, uh, if you want to follow us online, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Wet Wired Pod. And of course, if you'd like to support the show and get an extra ep- episode or two every month, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash Wet Wired. Until next time. Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks for being with us here on this Friday afternoon. I'm Will Dupree. The footprint that Elon Musk already has in Central Texas may get a lot bigger. This week, the Wall Street Journal reported that Musk would now like to build his own town in Bastrop County. He and his top executives would reportedly like their Austin area employees to be able to live in new homes with below market rents. The paper reports this is all according to deeds and other land records. One of the Wall Street Journal reporters who broke this big story this week, Kirsten Grind, is joining us now. Kirsten, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Now, your reporting stated that Elon Musk called this project a utopia. So I'm just curious what he's envisioning with this. 